So we are reading in Genesis chapter 37, reading from verse 12. So remember, Joseph now is, 30, is 17 years old. Let me reiterate, there are so many analogies between Joseph and Jesus. Although he is never referred to specifically as a type of Christ in the New Testament, Joseph is only referred to four times by name, and none of those four times is there, is there a comparison to, to Jesus although there are numerous comparisons between his life and Jesus. So, reading from verse 12 of Genesis chapter 37. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring back word Bring word back to me. So he went, so he, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have moved from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Okay, so in, in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 30, 37, it says that um, uh, what, what we see here is that, is that it says that Israel, uh, that, that uh, uh, his brothers were pasturing the flock at Shechem. So his brothers went to pasture this flock at Shechem. He, he wasn't there with, with them. Uh, his brothers were pasturing the flock and he wasn't there with them. And You'd think a 17-year-old, it could be, you know, uh, uh, is, is, you know this, is, this is a prime age for shepherding uh, uh, flocks. Why, was, why weren't they with him? Why, why might they not have been with him? And it's interesting, you, you know, it says, we covered three times before, it says that they didn't like him at all. I mean, they, 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 they weren't excited about him at all. And so that's what it says of him. And the scriptures say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived, good, uh, good, do not be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. And it may, may well have been that, that uh, uh, his father didn't want him spending that much time with his brothers alone because bad company corrupts good morals. doesn't matter how good you are. And what I tell young people is, is uh, if you hang out with the wrong people, you will become like them. You can go and minister to them, but if you hang out with them, if they become your buddies, you will become like them. Bad company corrupts good morals. doesn't matter how strong you are, because the Scriptures say it. If the Scriptures say bad company corrupts good morals, it means bad company corrupts good morals. There's no way around it. That's just the way it is, because every word in this book is true. And then he says... So he, he says, uh, your brothers are pastoring the flock, the, 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 the flock in Shechem. I want you to go and check on them. And, and uh, he immediately said in verse 13, he said, I will go. You know, that's, that's really amazing because a lot of times 17-year-olds don't immediately obey like that. This guy was a good guy. He was a good son. And he said, I will go. Even though he knew his brothers did not treat him well, he was willing to go and check check on his brothers. He he said, "I want you to tell me 
the wel- check on the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So maybe they had stayed out longer than they, he had gathered, that he had presumed, and he's kind of concerned about them. He says, check on your brothers, check on the flocks, bring word back to me. So he was to go. He says, okay, I'll go. As soon as he said it, he said, I'm ready to go. So he goes up in verse 14. It says that he went from the valley of Hebron because Hebron is a mountain. In fact, you can, you can stand on some of these mountains around there. And so, so uh, you can stand, for example, on some of these mountains. And I've stood on these mountains and you can see Jerusalem. You can see Hebron. They're, they're I don't know, maybe six miles, ten miles apart or something. You can see the different mountains. And each one of those mountain tops is a city. And interestingly, Jerusalem is not the highest mountain there. Now, it may have been at one day, but, but Herod chopped the, cut the top off of it and made it flat. And so that's why that city could expand or else, you know, it would, would have just been a mountaintop. And, and uh, so he, he, uh, he went from the valley of Hebron. So they, they were, didn't live in the city. They lived in this valley uh, below. And it says that he went to Shechem. And in verse 15, a man found him. Now, he didn't find the man. A man found him. This is a very interesting, it's, it's kind of peculiar. A man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? So it's not like he asked the man. He's wandering around Shechem. Because you would think that around a small city like Shechem, there's lots of beautiful pasture land. And it's not like you're looking for a needle in a haystack. You knew that they were, in, they were supposed to be in Shechem. There's 10 brothers so that's ten, that, that are going to be doing this. So that's 10 people. And then there's all the flocks. So you got all these flocks. So you're going to see it on one of the hillsides. Maybe you got to go down and up to another hillside. But you're going to see them. And now remember, before there was GPS and before there were cell phones, rendezvous was, rendezvous was hard. It was hard to, to meet up. And so they, they, But he's looking around and a man finds him. And he says, what are you looking for? Verse 16, he says, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pastoring their flock. Now, <clears throat> how did he know whose brothers are whose? Now, these are very famous brothers because they are the ones who a few years earlier had wiped out the land of Shechem, the city. They killed every man in that city and took captive the women and children that were in that city. They were well known. So by the right of conquest, they had rights now to all of that land around Shechem. And you will see hundreds of years later, when, when, uh, uh, um, when they come back into the land, when they come back into the land, after being in Egypt, they come back into the land, and uh, uh, there is this conquest when they come back into the land, and Joshua comes back in. He never has to fight for Shechem. The people that were occupying that city just flee, because... The, the Israelites owned this by right of conquest. That was their city now. And uh, they could pastor their flock anywhere they wanted. That was a well-known group of brothers. They wanted nothing to do with those brothers because they were wicked people. They were, they, they were really mean. And, and uh, so this man says, oh, I know them. Uh, I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. They're not here. They've gone to Dothan. And that's it. It says nothing more about this man. It's really peculiar. If you read in rabbinical writings, rabbinical writings will say that this was an angel and the angel Gabriel. 
Now, that's because rabbis hate to leave somebody in the Bible unlinked to somewhere else, and so they come up with linkages. That's an old tradition, but we don't know if it's accurate at all, but it is kind of peculiar that this man finds him. So, so you see that God knows exactly what's going to happen to Joseph. He knows the pain that's going to come in Joseph's life. Yet God is the one who ordains to send him to Dothan. He could have well have gone to Hebron, looked around and said, well, they're not here. I don't have to go and see those brothers that bother me anyway. I think I'll just go back to my father and report, they're not there. You know, I did what you wanted me to do, and they're not there, and that's it. No, this was a diligent young man. His father wanted him to check on their welfare, so he's looking all around. So now he, has to, he, he says, no, I'll go to Dotham because I have to check on the welfare of my brothers, check on the welfare of the flocks, and report back to my father. So he goes another 12 miles, another day's journey, to Dotham. And then verse 18, let's read on. And when they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes the dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, Let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, Shed no blood, throw them into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he may rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic the very colored tunic that was on him. And they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, so he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and he said, The boy is not there. As for me, what am I to do? So he took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic which they brought to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Okay, so in verse 18... He's going to Dotham, and they see him from a distance, a long way away. So he's got the very colored tunic. That helps them to recognize him. But when things are very far away, you don't see color. And I know that from, from uh, uh, doing consulting work with, with uh, uh, Lockheed Martin Aerospace. So if, if an object is very far away, it actually appears black. And, uh, uh, and they do that because they want to know how to obscure aircraft that are very far away in the sky? How do you make them even optically uh, uh, to be obscured? And so they, an object appears black, but you can actually tell 
A person is a particular person. Once you know their gait, their walk is more recognizable than anything else. I can tell my sons from very far away just by the way they walk, just by their gait. Okay, that's my son. I can tell by the way they're walking. So they saw him from a very far distance, and they started plotting to put him to death. Before he ever got there, they said, hey, let's kill him. Some people think that this plot was hatched before they ever even went to Shechem. And so they told their father that they were going to Shechem to, and they had all the time in their mind to go further on to Dotham where they're not well known and to, to hatch this plot. It, it would be kind of unusual for them to just be sitting there and say, oh, there's our brother, let's, let's, let's kill him today. You know, so you don't normally wake up in the morning and say, let's kill somebody. You, you plan this thing out. And, and so... so uh, uh, as they came close, they plotted against him to put him to death. Whether it was just plotted right there or plotted earlier, we don't know. And they said to one another, here comes the dreamer. So this is an epithet. This is, this is a, a, uh, a name that they called him, the dreamer, because he had had these dreams. So they were calling him uh, from uh, about this, they called him this epithet. This was not a good name. I don't know if you've ever had this experience where where you're, 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 you're going and you're walking toward a group of people and that group of people, you can see them start speaking and looking at you and speaking to each other. And you know that they're talking about you. And you know that what they're saying about you is not flattering. You know, they may be saying and laughing and looking at you. Yeah, yeah, there he is. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? I don't know if it's... A, that certainly happened to me. And the pain that it causes that you're walking into a group of people... And they're speaking against you. Or a group of people are sitting at a table and they're, 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 they're making eyes to one another and you're the person that they're making eyes about. It's hurtful. It hurts to be that left out party. All of us have been there. That's all of us have been there. One of the things that really drew me to Christ was that after this person had shared with me, there was a period of months there and I started meeting a lot of believers and these believers would invite me to sit with them at the, at the, the, the tables there in the, in the cafeteria, in the dormitory. And what I noticed was their conversation. Their conversation, you know, they'd laugh together and talk together, but it was never at anybody's expense. They weren't making fun of other people. I never felt in their community like I was being made fun of. And this is one of the things that really drew me. There's a love that comes in a community and these guys were clearly against him and I'm sure he read this. It was on their faces they were against him because remember, they're, they're shooting missiles at him with their eyes. They are plotting to kill him. I'm sure he noticed this. And, and uh, so he comes up on them and uh, verse 20, Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. So you see, their interest here is if we kill him, his dreams could never come about. They in, rightly interpreted the dreams. They rightly interpreted the dreams that according to his dreams, they would be worshiping him. Now, why should they care so much about dreams? We don't care about dreams in our culture very much. If a person has a dream, hey, I dreamt such and such. You're like, oh, that's cool. But it doesn't doesn't occur to you that maybe something's going to come true. We don't put any stock in dreams in our Western society. So God speaks to us very little through dreams in our Western society. 
God often speaks to people through the cultures that they're in. He doesn't speak to us in dreams because we don't put stock in dreams. If you go to the East, they put much more stock in dreams. If you are witnessing to a Muslim, you can pray for them that they will start having dreams about Jesus because they put enormous stock in dreams. They have whole books on dream interpretation. And so these people put a lot of value in dreams. If this guy's having dreams that, the, that are characteristic of the brothers worshiping him, they want to stop this thing. So you see they're trying to stop this from coming about. They're trying to stop this from coming about by, by thinking that they can, they can go ahead and they can, they can uh, uh, spend some time killing him and that's going to stop their dreams. This is just like the world, that they can do something to stop something from God that, that, that would otherwise take place. You know, this is talked about, for example, in Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2, reading verse 1 through 4, says this. This is in the book of Psalms. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast their cords from us. And he who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. So here kings think that they can plan against him. You know, I think, for example, of the, the nation of, of China, where they, they threw out all the missionaries in the 1950s as if they were going to do away with Christian witness. And then they had this, this hellish time come upon their country in the, in the uh, Cultural Revolution. And Christianity, the love of Jesus, has burst forth there more than any missionaries could have ever done. I mean, when you're sharing with, with uh, Chinese people, they're the easiest people to lead to the Lord because they're this clean slate and God has so worked in their lives. Chinese people come to the Lord, you just say, Jesus died for your sins. They're like, yeah, okay, how do I get saved? You know, boom, they want to get saved. God has so worked in the Chinese people. So, so, so the, the, the country tried to get rid of the witness and God said, okay, all right, you, you want to try to get rid of the witness of missionaries? I'll get you. And then boom, and now, then it just explodes. And now as they start cracking down more on things of God, you watch, it's going to burst forth all the more. You try to oppose God, He'll turn the very thing on you. They're trying to stop the dreams. They are the enablers of God's will and these dreams coming true. They are enabling it. You see, God's will is going to come about. And when you try to, to, to fight against this thing, you end up enabling it. And, and, and you know, there's, there's, there's this, these verses in the scriptures that talk about this, that, that uh, uh, you know, the wrath of man will even be turned around to the will of God. He'll even turn around the, the, the wrath of man to the will of God. This is, the, the, there, are, there are things written about this. For example, in Psalm 76, verse 10, it says, For the wrath of man shall praise you. Where the remnant of wrath, you will gird yourself. The wrath of man shall praise you. I mean, God is amazing. He is so powerful. Even the wrath of men, you go, oh wow, he's going to stop this. He can't stop it. You cannot stop Jesus. Jesus is king over all the earth. He will reign. He will rule. He will take his people home. He will give us life after death. You can't stop Jesus. Jesus will keep on going on and on. Even the wrath of man, you get scared of it. God sits in the heaven and he laughs. He's like, says to me, look at that, look at that king. 
He thinks he can stop this. Look at that government. He th- they think they can stop this. Well, fix that. You know, boom, they, they turn a few knobs and boom, everything happens. Jesus is amazing. These guys become the enablers of all of this. Verse 21, but Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands let, let, and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. So Reuben is the oldest brother. Oldest brothers are supposed to have concern for their youngest brother. And he says, look, you, you know, we, we, we picked on him. I'm okay with that, but I can't let them kill him. Now remember, it wasn't Reuben that attacked Shechem and killed those people. It was Simeon and Levi, the next two brothers. Reuben's whole brothers that were, you had Reuben, Simeon, Levi. It was Simeon and Levi. Those were the two really ruthless ones, the ones just below Reuben in age. Reuben is now 24, so they're 23 and 22. And uh, um, uh, Reuben said, just throw them in the pit. Uh, that way we don't have to shed any blood. Just throw them in the pit and, and, uh, um, and let's not lay hands on him. And he'll die in that pit. You know, he'll die of exposure in the pit. Uh, and, and, but all the time thinking that he's going to restore him to his father. Now, who was Reuben? Reuben was the one who had slept with, with one of, uh, uh, with, with one of Jacob's wives, Bilhah. And that's in chapter 35, verse 25 of Genesis. Uh, that's Bilhah. She's, she's Rachel's maid. She was the mother of Dan and Naphtali. And that's written about in verse 22 of chapter 35. It says, it came about that while Israel was dwelling in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. So that's what cost Reuben his, his being, being the one with the birthright. The birthright then went to Joseph. But in spite of that, Reuben was not all bad, and men who fall into adultery are not all bad. Now, it, it, it ruins their life. Now you see Reuben being the oldest brother, you'd think that he could just take control and say, no, why does he have to come up with this scheme? Why can't he just deliver? And he says, no, over my dead body, you're going to touch this kid. You're not going to do this. A normal oldest brother should have authority to do that. But he's lost his position. He's lost that type of influence. He's lost, lost that because of, of uh, this, this, this sleeping with, with uh, Joseph's wife. He is... He slept with the mother of Dan and Naphtali, his two half-brothers. So he's really lost a lot of clout in their sight because it says in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32 and 33, it says, The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. Once a man has walked in adultery... He loses all sorts of clout. I mean, you think that, that it's not going to do anything. It's going to destroy all sorts of clout. So even in this, he's lost all sorts of influence with his brothers, but he had enough influence to say, just throw him in the pit and knowing that he's going to deliver him later on. And so it says in verse 23, so it came about when Joseph reached his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him, and they took him and they threw him into the pit. Now, the pit was empty without any water in it. That means that it was not just a normal pit. It was a cistern. You can go around Israel. There are cisterns all over the place. <clears throat> it was amazing what they did. They, they would dig into the stone 
and they would store water in there during the rainy season in the winter and they'd have water to drink all through the year. And you can find cisterns and you can even go down into cisterns. There's like on Masada, there's a cistern on the top of Masada and you can, and, and it's really cool in there. I mean, it's all dug out into the stone. You say, well, why couldn't he climb out of this pit? You can't climb out of a cistern. A cistern has a, a small opening like this, you know, maybe 14 inches of a hole or, or, or 16 inches of a hole where they would go and they actually carve into the rock. It goes down in and then it opens up like this. So it's cistern is, is like this with a small opening. So if you're down in the cistern, unless you're a gecko, you can't climb upside down and get out of that hole. I mean, there's, there's no getting out if somebody doesn't help you. And so this is an cistern, and there are cisterns all over Israel. And they, they've dug into these things, and you can, find, you can find all sorts of things. And there's an area near Laish that, 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 uh, um, that they actually dug into chalk. They would dug dwellings into this chalk stone. It's soft, it's chalk. And there'd be a small opening in the middle, and the Israeli army doesn't even practice there anymore because so many men have been lost because there's small openings at the top and then big open things, and people would... They'd be practicing there and people would fall in there and die from the fall. So, so I was talking with this uh, former general in the army. He says, we, we don't even practice here anymore because you know, men just fall in pits. And, and, uh, and so, so uh, uh, there are pits like that all over the place. And so they throw them into the cistern. In verse 25, they sat down to eat a meal. You know, this is, this is really, really uh, um, uh, characteristic of, of just saying, how hardened they were. They're throwing their brother into a pit and he's crying out for help. How do we know he's crying out for help? Because if you look in chapter 42 of Genesis, chapter 42, verse 21, chapter 42, verse 21 of Genesis, it says, um, Reuben answered them saying, did not I tell you do not sin against the boy and you would not listen. Now comes the reckoning for his blood. Uh, um, in verse 21 it says then they said to one another truly we are guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us yet we would not listen therefore his distress has come upon us he was pleading with them don't throw me in there he was pleading with them from the cistern let me out of here pleading with them they stripped him of his tunic when a man is naked you don't know what he is in the sense that you don't know if he's a slave you don't know if he's a uh, a prince. And that's what happened with the Samaritan. With the Samaritan. Remember the story of the, of, the, of the Good Samaritan? When it says, Jesus said, a man was on his way from Jerusalem down to Jericho. When he got attacked by, 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 uh, um, by thieves, they stripped him and he, was, and he was left for dead. In other words, he was unconscious. When a man is naked and unconscious... We are not told whether he was a priest, whether he was a Levite, whether he was a Jew, whether he, whether he was a Samaritan. We're not told. Because when a man is naked, you don't know. Your clothes give you away. They tell you something about who you are. That's why when he's in this pit without his tunic, they can pull him up and sell him as a slave. It doesn't matter that he says, I'm not a slave, I'm their brother. It doesn't matter. They say he's a slave. There's no, no identifying feature on him in his clothing. He's a slave. They could sell him as a slave. And so he's crying out for help. They are so crude that they sit down and they eat a meal. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. It says, the way of an adulterous woman, she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. 
when somebody can do something wrong, eat a meal, and it doesn't even stop them from eating their meal. They're so hardened. That's what these people were, these brothers were. Then they raise their eyes, they see this caravan, it says in verse 25, of Ishmaelites. They see a caravan of Ishmaelites. Then there's another reference, and so they're, they're bearing, they're coming from Gilead, they're coming on this, on this uh, uh, east to west trunk with their camels bearing aromatic gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. And so in verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the, some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. So is it Ishmaelites or is it Midianites? Which one is it? Well, it turns out Ishmaelites and Midianites are the same people. So remember, Ishmael was the son of Abraham. Abraham had had uh, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was 14 years older than Isaac. Ishmael was from Hagar, the Egyptian. And uh, then through Sarah, he had Isaac. Uh, after after uh, uh, Sarah died, Abraham married a woman named Keturah. And so if you look in chapter 25 of Genesis, Genesis chapter 25, he married Keturah. In Genesis chapter 25, Verse 1, it says, Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimram, Jokshan, Midan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. So Midian, from the Midian comes the Midianites. That was another son of Abraham. So Abraham had both Ishmael and Midian from different wives. So Ishmael and Midian are brothers. They're half-brothers. And they are lumped together because what happened is you have the Midianites. The Midianites were subsumed by the Ishmaelites. And so they were brothers and they were subsumed. And they are referenced together, for example, in Judges chapter 8, verse 20 through 22 through 24. Judges chapter 8, verse 22 through 24. They are merged together. And, and on the one hand, it says you delivered us from these people, these Midianites, and and uh, then they're referred to as Ishmaelites, all in the same passage. <clears throat> so they, they are one people. So it was Ishmaelites, they were also Midianites, these were one people, and they sold him. You see the likeness to Christ. In the midst of this, you see that, that, that this young man, this young man is, is this, this analogy to Christ where Jesus has given his life for us. Jesus has clearly given his life for us. I want to I want to wrap this up with Romans looking at Romans chapter 5 verse 6 and Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Romans chapter 5 6 and Romans chapter 5 8. It says for while we were still helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. While we were helpless Christ died for the ungodly. So Jesus did not die for the godly. If you are godly, you're going to have to find your salvation somewhere else. Jesus didn't die for the godly. He died for the ungodly. Then it says in verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus gives his life for us. 
Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the sinner. This young man, Joseph, is giving of his life for these wicked brothers, and he's going to end up saving them. You see the analogy to Christ. Even though he's not used as a specific type of Christ by name in the New Testament, he is clearly, you see the analogies to Christ here. And you see that, that Reuben, Reuben tried to deliver him, but, but look, look at what's happening here. This is the analogy to Christ. It is Jesus who stands for us. If you do not know the Lord, I urge you this day to come to him. Don't stay away from him. Jesus loves you so much, so much. He's come to deliver you. He's come to love you. He's come to, he, he's, he, he's going he's to take care of you. He is here for you. He is here for you. He is here for you. This is, Jesus is the one who is for you in everything. He is the one that, that, that uh, uh, through our own actions, our own actions got him hung on the cross. Our own actions did, but still he dies for the ungodly. I urge you to come to Jesus today. Don't let this day pass by without coming to Jesus. And let me just say, I will gladly meet with you if you do not know the Lord. This is not for people who know the Lord. This invitation is only for people who don't know the Lord Jesus. I will meet with you one-on-one. We will set up a specific Zoom call, just me and you, and I will tell you about Jesus. And you will come to know the Lord. I am sure of it. If you reach out to me and tell me you want to hear the story about Jesus, I know you are among the elect. I know it. Because if you were not, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have even reached out to me. You reach out to me, I will, I will share with you the, about the Lord, and you will come and you will get saved that very same day. And we will set up a call, and it's happened many times. Even in the last one week, it's happened many times. You open up that door. You open up that door by reaching out to me. We'll set up a Zoom call, and you can come to know Jesus. This very day, you can come to know Jesus. And he is the best in every respect because he died for the ungodly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word that you have given your life for the ungodly. Just as Joseph was was ridiculed and abused, so your son was ridiculed and abused when he came to this earth. And Father, I pray this day for the unbelievers who are here that you would draw them to Jesus, that you would open up their hearts to draw them to Jesus. Father, open up their hearts. And Father, for the believers here today, I pray that they would see that nothing of God's will can be thwarted. That whatever man does to try to thwart God's will is going to be turned around and used against them to make God's will come about all the greater. Father, just as these men tried to to stop these dreams from coming true, they became the enablers of the dream to come true. How you take the wrath of man and you turn it around for the glory of God. In everything, you are powerful. Every word in this book is true. Everything about Jesus is right and holy. He is king over every aspect of this earth. And Lord, we pray for the peace of our country. With these riots, Lord, we pray for the peace of this country and, and, and for the, the coronavirus and all these things that are happening. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Not that we deserve your mercy, but only because of your great mercies. Have mercy on us, I pray. And Father, I pray that you would stir up our hearts to love your word more, to learn from this man, Joseph, how he gave of himself 
for those that hated him. Father, that we would learn to give of ourselves, that we would learn to love our enemies, that we would learn to love the ones that even hate us and abuse us, that we would learn to love them. As Jesus said, that we are to love those who hate us. We are to pray for those who mistreat us. Father, do that in our lives, I pray. Do that in our lives. Make us more like Jesus. Make us like Him because He is so wonderful in every respect. Thank You, Lord Jesus, that You become our friend, our guide, our master, our God. Thank You, Lord Jesus. May You reign forever and ever. And all glory be to You. Precious Lord Jesus, blessed be Your name. Amen.